Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Luke chapter 23, and we'll be reading from verse 33 to verse 49. Verse 33. And when they were come to a place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, on the one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, <clears throat> and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. <clears throat> and one of the malefactors which, were, which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, unto thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. Our speaker today is homegrown. He's right, well, it was right, still right down the street, but we, we moved, Andy didn't move, but we're very thankful Andy's been with us since day one, I believe, right? So uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord's going to say to us through our brother Andy, and we'll turn the remainder of our Bible instruction time over to him. Brother Andy, please. Well, good morning. Good morning. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, this morning as we look into your word, we ask that you would just guide and direct us, help us to understand the message that we see in the decisions of these three men this morning, Father. And we pray this in your name. Amen. 
Yeah, I said three men. We're actually going to be starting in Matthew this morning. <laughs> we'll get to Luke in a bit, but uh, I want to start in Matthew uh, chapter 26. Um, so while y'all are turning, um, this has been kind of on my heart and on my mind for several weeks now. Um, having first come across that passage in Luke, um, the idea of declaring somebody innocent. How is it even possible to say that somebody has done nothing wrong? You know, we look in our own lives, we would never say that about ourselves. We look in the lives of those around us, we could never say that about somebody who was a son or child of Adam. It only applied to this one man, Christ. And there were three different men at different times and who made different decisions. I mean, there were more, but I'm focusing in on three. <laughs> okay, there were three different men who proclaimed Christ innocent. Okay, we have the traitor, we have the thief, and we have the centurion. We're going to start with the traitor. So Matthew chapter, and I'm in the wrong chapter, chapter 26. Okay, not quite, where else, see, where am I at? Uh, verses 6 through 16. I'm not going to read it. It's a well-known story, the story of the, the woman who brought the alabaster vial of perfume. Okay. She poured it out on Jesus' feet. I want to focus in um, on two sections. One right before Christ speaks. The disciples, uh, verse number 8. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Then, of course, Christ tells them and rebukes them. Okay? But then we see the first inklings, um, unless we go back to the Old Testament, of the traitor. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Okay. <laughs> um, here we have, and in, um, if we were to look at that same passage in Luke, we have the, the phrase, Satan entered into Jesus, Judas Iscariot before he went to go talk to the priests here. But here we see this man who's been with Christ from almost the beginning, if you think about it. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't go back and completely check as to exactly when Judas joined Christ, but he's been with him for quite some time. Um, obviously, he was probably one of the one that was, we, somebody spoke about it a week or two ago, uh, when Christ sent the disciples out. Judas would have been sent out the same to go heal the sick and cast out demons. Whether he did that or not, we have no record, but he went out, okay, and he came back to Christ. But here we see, okay, even though he witnessed all that Christ had done, he had all this evidence, he was still willing to betray him. All right. 
So there, we skip ahead a little bit here in the same chapter, verses 47 through 56. He came up, he betrayed his master, what should have been his master, he called him rabbi. But at this time we know Judas was lost. He was about to betray. And yet Jesus still called him friend. Why have you come friend? But it still didn't click in Judas's mind. And still, he kissed him on the cheek and betrayed this man who he knew was innocent. How do I know that he knew he was innocent? Matthew chapter 26 again, verse 57. No, let's see. I could start in verse 57, but I'm going to start, I'm going to skip down. Um, I was going to talk about the, um, the trial. Um, I wanted to sneak that in a little bit. The trial before the high priest. All these false witnesses brought in to testify against Christ. And the one thing that catches me here that I really wanted to focus it on. Um, uh, verse f- verse 60, uh, 59, 60. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. How hard is it to produce evidence when you have a false witness? Okay? You have somebody who is willing to lie on the stand to give false witness. And yet through this entire thing, they were unable to actually convict him of something worthy of putting him to death. Up until the high priest made his proclamation... Tell us whether you're the Christ, the Son of God. And even then, this would not have been worthy of putting Christ to death because he was who he said he was. He was the Christ. Okay? But still, they made the decision and they convicted him without any evidence. They said they're going to put him to death. They couldn't do it, so they had to take him to Pilate. So we get down into verse 27. And here we see, verse number three. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. The traitor recognized that Christ was innocent. Now, there were a lot of prophecies regarding this event. So I can't say that this would have, anything would have changed. But had Judas at that point in time chosen to turn to Christ, maybe things would have changed, but he didn't. Judas at that point in time, it seems like he was convicted, but I think more he was just blaming himself and so he got selfish again. He stayed selfish and decided to, to, to just kill himself. All right? Admittedly, there was prophecies about this, so we knew it was coming. Okay, I don't want to say there could have been a change. But we know that Christ would have forgiven him. That's who he is. But still, Judas chose not to act on this knowledge 
that a condemned man was about to die who was innocent and had no fault. So there we have the traitor. So if you want to turn ahead to Luke, back into Luke chapter 23, we'll stick there for most of the rest of this. So we come to the thief. Now, I checked all four Gospels. There is nothing about these thieves before they're mentioned at Golgotha. We don't have any direct knowledge of, other than the fact that they were possibly robbers, depending on the, the translation. I think it, it, you know, most, most of them agree, thieves. Any other crimes they had done, why this particular robbery was, was, for, was to death, was a, a conviction to death. So I'm going to do a little bit of supposition. <laughs> but the facts that this, I want to look at what the thief may have overheard while he was there awaiting the time when they would take him to the cross. So he would have been in possibly his jail cell. Um, I could probably make an argument. He might have been up there having just been convicted when they brought Christ in at some point. But I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> um, but there in his jail cell, he would have probably heard all the ruckus and the commotion going on outside between Pilate and the chief priests and elders because they didn't come in. They were shouting <laughs> back and forth, it seems like, sometimes. Um, but he might have overheard, okay? And this is definitely a might have, but we read. Um, there was a man brought, okay, to Pilate, and Pilate sent him to Herod. Well, that wouldn't have been much news, but he might have heard that. Um, uh, the man got sent back, beaten, you know, um, by Herod's guards. Um, I can... Uh, suppose that he would have heard the crowd outside yelling, crucify him. And I want to think about something for a second. This thief is sitting here in this jail cell, and he knows that Pilate usually lets out somebody right before a feast. Now you think about this. There were two thieves crucified with Christ, and Barabbas, who was probably slated for execution, we know, okay, based on his crimes. You're the thief sitting in the cell. You think to yourself, well, they're not going to let Barabbas go. He was just such a bad guy. I might be one of the ones let out. But along came Christ. And this might be why the thieves were so mad at Christ at the beginning. Because Barabbas was let go and they were taken to be crucified. Because the other thought might have been that maybe they won't take us to be crucified until after the feast. They don't want to, you know, have to deal with that, all that trouble. But Christ's appointed time was here. And so there they were taken to the cross, okay? Um, 
they were hung there. Uh, one of them was on the left, one of them on the right. Not sure which one actually turned to Christ. We do know that in the other accounts of the Gospels, they were both mocking Christ at first. Okay, they were mad at him. For what reason? Maybe it was the reason I'm thinking of. Maybe it was something completely different. But they were up there on the cross, and the thief got to thinking. He came to the realization. I don't know how, I don't know what all evidence he had, other than what was happened there at the praetorium and what he might have overheard. But he understood that the man on the cross next to him had done nothing wrong. He recognized and was convicted. He, he understood he was on that cross because of what he had done. Okay, we see that in, the, in what was read. Okay. Um, uh, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? They're on the cross. They're going to die. <laughs> There's no stopping that now. Okay? Maybe back in the jail cell they had some hope. Pilate might let them out. Might change his mind. But now they're on the cross. Um, and same as uh, there was a, the, this is the king of the Jews was nailed above Christ's head. Thief would have been nailed above his head. And in what can I can only understand is a extreme act of faith, movement by the Holy Spirit. He turned to Christ, a man on a cross, beaten worse than the thief was probably, from all our, our counts. Turned to him and said, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. I can't think of anything <laughs> that would require more faith. I'm sure there's something, but <laughs> that much faith in a man who not hour, two hours before was mad because they're, you know, he missed out on his chance to go free <laughs> or just because he was being taken to the cross to be crucified. Um, it's just, it astounds me sometimes. To understand that, how did this man come to understand that Christ was an innocent man? Maybe he overheard when Pilate said, I find no fault in him. I can't say that for certain. We can see, we can look at it, we can see, we can understand. We have the accounts now. But somehow, this man, this thief on the cross, came to understand with absolutely minimal evidence, as far as I can tell, that hanging next to him, was the Lord of all creation, the King of kings. And he had an assurance 
when Christ said back to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. This man was saved by faith. We can we read it here. There's no there's no doubt, there's no question <laughs> about this one. He was saved by faith. Finally, I want to finish up with the centurion. Um, hopefully it'll start to finish up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the centurion would have had about maybe a little more evidence, possibly, than the thief. He could have been the guy in charge as Christ was being led all over <laughs> Jerusalem and, and back again. Could be he just started that morning. You know, he came on first light, got a report from whoever had been there, and then uh, when the chief's priest brought him back from from Herod, he was there. When Pilate, uh, if you look down, uh, verse thirteen of Luke twenty-three, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and people and said to them, "You brought this man to me as one who incites people to rebellion." And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. The guard may have been there at that time, trying to make sure the crowd didn't riot. Um, We understand as we we read through the rest of the passage, um, the only reason Pilate sent him to death is because he was afraid of the crowd. They were getting um, close to rioting over the fact that they wanted... This man, dead. Now mostly it was the chief priests and the elders inciting the people to, 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 violent, to, to riot and to cry out, crucify him. But at some point, Pilate ordered um, Barabbas released. Okay? And then... Um, some of the other Mark and Matthew uh, mentioned, Pilate ordered Christ Jesus flogged and then sent for crucifixion. I think from here on we can safely say that the centurion was probably with him from starting from at least that point because uh, he would have been in charge of the guards um, to take him out into the praetorium and to flog him. Now I was, part of this I was looking into um, Paul's account of being arrested. This is just an aside. But when Paul was arrested, they took him, the, the Roman guard took him, the centurion took him, and they were going to take him to be flogged to find out the truth. So maybe that's what Pilate was trying to do here by doing the flogging first. Maybe he was just trying to get Christ to speak. Because up to this point, before his accusers, Christ remained silent. Okay? There's a couple of uh, things he said to Pilate here and there, but for the most part, when they were accusing him, he remained silent. But he was ordered flogged by Pilate and then crucified. And we know, because it's, it's here, during the flogging, he didn't cry out. He didn't say a word. He didn't. And this is another aside. Come to, it's come to understand, and there's a reason why torture doesn't work. If you torture somebody 
you will get the response you want to get out of them because they will seek to answer you in the way you want them to, to answer. And so Christ held out. I was originally going to, to do this message on strength, so that's where this is coming from. But, <laughs> um, but Christ didn't cry out. He didn't lie or anything. He remained silent before his accusers. But then the centurion let him out. Um, they started on their way. But Christ was so beaten, he couldn't bear his own cross. It would have been the centurion that probably picked Simon out of the crowd, said, hey, you, come carry his cross. Okay? Uh, it would probably have been the centurion's job to carry the, um, the proclamations that were nailed above the heads because uh, he was probably one of the few guards that could read. <laughs> So he would have known which one goes where. But there at the cross, he nailed, he had his guards nail Christ to the cross and the other two thieves, and they were raised up. And the first thing I can say for sure that he heard from Christ, other than the there is the daughters of Jerusalem, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine being the centurion, nailing somebody to a cross, raising him up, and to have that man say, Father, forgive them? That probably would have started you thinking. And so, they were there, they, his soldiers, um, just part of the practice, they would have um, you know, divide up the garments, they cast lots for the, for the different items. And for three hours, it was a normal crucifixion. Because if you look in Mark, the crucifixion started at the third hour. So from the third hour to about the sixth hour, it was just a standard crucifixion. Nothing... Different. The three guys were up there. They were, well, aside from one thing, <laughs> but I don't know how often this would have happened. There were a whole bunch of people gathered around mocking Christ. And so part of his guard's duty and part of his job right then would have been to keep the crowds back. Because there could have been a lot of confusion. Somebody could have come and taken somebody off the cross if the guards had not been there. We know that wasn't what was going to happen. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, But for three hours, it was probably a pretty standard crucifixion, except maybe more people, bigger mob. And then all of a sudden, the sun was covered over. And there was darkness for three hours. Now, I don't know about you, maybe the guards had something there where they could light a fire or something, <laughs> provide some light so that they could guard, but they were going out to do a crucifixion in the middle of the day. <laughs> it's probably not something you would have prepared for, but maybe they had a fire, maybe not. doesn't much matter. 
where for three hours there was darkness. And the centurion is standing in front of Christ's cross and he hears, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, as is written down here in Luke, or um, it's one of the other phrases, it is finished. And then the man on the cross simply bowed his head and breathed his last. Now that's not how a crucifixion ends. <laughs> a crucifixion is a struggle. Um, it's not a pleasant death to come to understand. I've heard from others. Uh, but it is a death by suffocation. But as soon as this man said his final words, bowed his head, says here, this, the, the sun came out, there was an earthquake, rocks were torn in terrain. Um, some of the others indicate um, the dead raised, being raised back up. How much of this the centurion saw at this time, I don't know. Definitely the earthquake. He couldn't have seen the veil being rent in twain. That was in the temple. But it led him to two phrases, one of which we read here. I'm going to go with the other one first. Um, Matthew and Mark both record him as having said, surely this was the Son of God. Now the only place he might have picked up on that was from earlier um, when the chief priests and elders were, were all accusing Christ and claiming that he claimed to be the Son of God. And so here um, we see that the centurion is like, surely this was the Son of God. And this other one here that's recorded in Luke, certainly this man was innocent. I don't know how he came to that conclusion, what logic fit together in his mind. Might have simply been the Holy Spirit moving in his heart to make this proclamation. But he recognized that an innocent man had died. Unfortunately, we don't know the rest of his story. That was the other reason I wanted to bring him up last. I would like to say that maybe he was uh, uh, the centurion we read about in Acts that Peter went to go see, Cornelius. But I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> okay? We have no more record of what happened with this centurion. Maybe he was one of the guards assigned to Christ's um, tomb. But we just don't know. You see, here we have three men. They all recognized that an innocent man was condemned to die. And we have three different decisions. We have the decision by the traitor to turn his back, walk away from the innocent man. There's a lot of people like that today. 
The traitor had all the evidence in the world that Christ was the Son of God. And he turned his back. The thief had almost no evidence. And yet he came to trust in Christ. And the centurion, who probably had a little more evidence than the thief, but we don't know his fate. There's a lot of people like these three men in the world. I think I can count most of us, all of us among the thief, the group with the thief. We've seen Christ on the cross. We've come to trust in him. But there's a lot of people in the world who've been given all the evidence they could ask for that Christ is the savior of the world. And yet they still turn their back. And there's a lot of people out there who may not have all the evidence yet. That's up to us to share that with them and make sure they understand that Christ is their savior. But I've been talking a lot about what these men proclaimed. And one more point I want to make. It doesn't matter that these men proclaimed Christ innocent. In the long run, that doesn't matter at all. What matters is that God proclaimed him innocent. God acknowledged that Christ died a sinless man for you and for me. And thus our sins were buried with him. And so he rose again on the third day. And this is more for those listening over audio. (laughs) Christ, an innocent man, died for the sins of the world. The only innocent man to ever walk this earth. And God accepted him as that sacrifice for you and for me. Be honest, I don't know why all this has been weighing on my heart the past few weeks, but I wanted to share it with you all this morning. And I thank you for listening. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, this morning as we've looked at the decisions of these three men, we understand that there are many in the world today who've turned their back on Christ or have simply not come to know him at all. So, Father, we ask that you would just encourage us. Those of us that, like the thief on the cross, looked at our Lord and Savior there and said, remember us when you come into your kingdom. Trusted in him. And have come to know that you raised him up again on the third day so that we might have eternal life. So, Father, just encourage us as we go about our daily walk to speak with those around us, to make sure they have all the information they need, all the evidence that's provided about your son and the fact that you accepted him as a sacrifice for their sins. In your name we pray, Father. Amen.